Good morning. My name is Julieta Vasquez, and today's scripture comes from John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Julieta, I'm going to get power here. Sorry, got to turn microphones on. <laughs> it's good to see you guys this morning. We are starting a new study. We just finished looking at Granada's vision, and now we're going to spend the summer really looking at how does Jesus train us? How does he teach us um, what it means to follow him? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Um, and so we'll be doing that as we're working together through um, these chapters of John, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And we begin sort of with this question. Um, you feel like you know what it means to have a good life? I mean, what life is for, right? And what the best sort of life is. I was reading, I don't know, a couple of years ago that... Uh, Yale University offered a course that had the title Psychology and the Good Life. And the reason I mention it is because over all the couple hundred years of history of this school, this is the course more undergraduates registered to take than any other course. Almost one-fourth of all undergraduates 1,200 kids said, hey, I want to take this course. And think about that for a minute. Here's a course not in their major, it's about what makes for the best sort of life. What does it mean to be happy? What is life to be like? And actually, the enrollment was so large, first they moved the class into the chapel, then they had to move it into a huge auditorium, and it messed with so many students' schedule, they're ne they've never offered it again since then. And actually, Harvard, in 2006, offered a very similar course that had 900 students register for it. Again, the largest number of students in any one class. And would have you asking, why in the world are these students at the top-notch universities asking the question, what is life to be like? And how can I live the best sort of life? Now, the professor of that Yale course, you'll see a picture of her. Her name is Laurie Santos. She said it like this. She said they took the class. The fact that they did speaks to how tired students are of numbing their emotions, both positive and negative, so that they can focus on their work, the next step, the next accomplishment. And I began thinking about this. These are students who made huge sacrifices going through undergraduate degrees. They've gotten to the, the top institutions in the country, and they're still asking, what is life about? They're not where they want to be. They've stressed out about even getting there, and they're asking this question, what is life to be like? What is the best sort of life? 
And you see, in the gospel, Jesus not only says, look, I have a way for your freedom, but he also says, I want to lead you into the best sort of life we can have as human beings. Now, as I share this, think about this for a moment. We have advanced as human beings in the sciences and discovery and design, in medicine and aerospace. I mean, you name it, human society has moved forward like we could not even imagine generations ago. But the reality is this, on the other side of that ledger, dialing down into our lives every day, we know we're not there. We know something is missing. And by the way, people are reporting an incredibly high degree of unhappiness, not living a full and complete life. And by the way, studies show that more money won't get you there, more houses, more adventure, more success, more physical intimacy, more possessions. They may give you a little bump in happiness, but they do not provide it in any lasting way. And in the middle of all of this, Jesus is calling people to himself. Actually, he says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, imagine that kind of claim saying, look, the kind of life you are meant to live as a human being is found in me. It's the truth about life is found in who I am. This astounding claim and by the way, it means that life isn't found in a new ideology, a new philosophy, a new program. He is saying this life is to be found in him. And you may say, well, how in the world can he say that? What does he mean? And that's the focus of our summer study together. First, to know him and in the process discover, well, what is this life that, that we were made to live in? this life of peace and joy. Would you pray together with me? Lord, it's true, we have so much. We have lives filled with such opportunities, with such amazing stuff and technology, and yet there's this aching hole in our hearts for life. And it's why we know, Lord, the rich young man came to Jesus, he had everything but he knew that he didn't have the most important thing. We find our own hearts there, Lord. And so I pray that, that you might show us in Jesus this life. Not only show us, but lead us into this life as we follow him. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now Jesus said it as simply as this. I mean, it's just like this simple. He just said, come and follow me. He said that to that rich young guy that came him, to him and said, hey, how do I find life? How do I find the life that leads to eternal life? He said this to his disciples. By the way, it's the first thing he says to the apostle Peter, and it's the last thing the gospels record that he says to Peter at the very end, follow me. He also says this to the crowds. Now, as I think about this, I struggle with this on two major counts, and maybe you do too. The first one is this, I think we've really, we've lost track of Jesus. Maybe we've talked so much about him and there's so many ideas about him and, and concepts and perspectives of him. We've lost the, the truth of who he actually is and that connection with him as a person. This struck me years ago as I read the story about how uh, they pulled out sort of had been in storage 
the, the painting by Da Vinci of the Last Supper. You'll see a picture of that painting. It's amazing. And they hired this team. You'll see the woman that they hired to lead the team. And they literally spent 20 years, a little over 20 years, picking through every centimeter of that painting because at one time it had been stored in like a stable by Napoleon and some people had even picked out the eyes, the paint of the eyes of the apostles and they had vandalized it and then it had been covered with grime over the centuries and so they painstakingly spent all of this time to peel away all this stuff of layers over, over Jesus in this painting and I think that's exactly how I feel. People have said so much about Jesus, so many con conceived notions of who he is and ideas. And in the middle of that, we've lost track. We've lost Jesus ourselves. We've lost who he is. And our desire in this study is not to know about Jesus, but to actually know him. And that's the first challenge. People today don't know Jesus and the good news in all of this is like Jesus wants us to know him and he's alive and we can live in relation to him and pursue him as he is pursuing us. But then I sort of found there's another problem in me. Maybe you recognize this too. To, be, to come and follow Jesus, it really is about following. And we know so little about following today. You, if you go online and, and you look up a list of books on Amazon or Google about, about leading, there are hundreds of thousands of titles on leading. And we live in an age where everybody, we tell every young person, you have to become a leader. We say, hey, anybody can be a leader. We need more leaders. Everything rises and falls on leadership. We say, hey, it's time to stop being a follower and to become a leader. You know, back in the early 2000s, this guy, Lee Iacocca, you may remember him, businessman, published this book. Do you see the title? Where have all the leaders gone? And I want to ask as we begin this, where have all the followers gone? Where are the people who say, hey, I just, I'm, I want to follow Jesus. I remember reading about an athlete not long ago, and, and they had this comment about him, and it was really cool as, as a virtue, and this is what it said. It said, he loves to, to be coached. Think about that for a moment. Here's an athlete who says, look, teach me. Show me how to do this. I, I want to learn from you. And you see, this is followership. And this is what it takes for us to actually enter into this life is, is learning what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is the way they said it in the ancient days of Jesus, that we, were gonna, we would eat the dust of our rabbi in other words, you would follow him around so much wherever he is walking and the, the dust of his sandals would get kicked up and, and you'd be sort of covered in his dust. And before like, you're like eating his dust. This is how you become like him as by following around and watching him and learning from him. Let me tell you, one of the, the most embarrassing times of my early ministry came when I went to school in Scotland. And when I arrived, I sort of scoped out the city where I would be studying. And I found the church I wanted to go to. I attended, it was a Reformed Baptist church called Morningside Baptist Church on a place called Holy Corner because at one time on four corners of one intersection, there were all four different churches, right? This place in the city of Edinburgh, Scotland. And I remember I met the pastor. His first name was Peter and, and I invited him to lunch. He came over to the seminary. We sat in the seminary and had lunch because I wanted to get to know him. But there was a point in time in which with lunch in the nicest sort of way, 
I, I said to him that the church was, was blessed, that I was there, and I was ready to take up the mantle of leadership. If you could just point me in the right direction. And then he said one of the least gratifying things I had heard up to that time in my life. He said, what if you weren't a leader, but you learned how to be the best possible follower? And I didn't want to hear that. But think about that for a minute. What if you actually became a follower of Jesus? What if you said, I, I want to follow you. I, I want to be coached. And even more than that, I, I want to become as you are. Yeah, let me tell you, I, I am a recovering leader. You see, our journey in the weeks ahead, it is not going to help unless you are willing to say, I want to be coached. I, I want to I follow you, Jesus. Show me to eat the dust of our great rabbi Jesus and learn from him. Will you be a follower? That's the invitation of this section. Like Jesus said, come and follow me. And so I want to look at today, well, how do we learn from the life of Jesus? Why would we want to? What does it mean to do that? And as I mentioned, we're studying this section in the Gospel of John. I'd encourage you to get out your Bible and just start reading through John 13 to 17. We plan on covering that this summer. By the way, this all takes place in what we've just come to call the upper room. Jesus is with his disciples. The Passover is going to be served that evening. And he gives this teaching, which is the longest teaching of Jesus we have in the New Testament. And then he's on the way out to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's continuing to teach them. And you say, well, why such a long teaching at this time? Well, his whole ministry is coming to a head, and he is pulling together all that he has done and taught, and he's like, this is what you need to know if you're going to follow me. If you want to enter into this life that I know, this is what you need to know, what it means to be a disciple. This is what we're told. It was just before the Passover, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Now think about this with me for a moment. If you know you're going to the cross, what are you worrying about? What are you thinking about? You would imagine he would be thinking about himself, but no, his attention is completely on his disciples. He wants them to be equipped for life. You see, his teachings are both the toolkit, the instruction set, the resources they will need, and the challenges they're going to face. It's all here. He's going to tell us this as we learn from Jesus. And it's all bathed in his love. But everything starts with Jesus. And that means to me, we need to go back to the radical, daring, strange, wonderful, unstoppable, unsettling, disturbing, care, caring God-man, Jesus. This is the one who's leading us. So how do we see this? Well, think about it like this. He dares to face down angry men with stones who are ready to, to kill an adulterous woman. He eats with the wrong people. He heals people on the wrong day. He touches people who have been excluded from community. He shows respect and honor to women who rarely received it in that day. He tells evil spirits where they can go. But he also tenderly takes children in his arms. And he weeps over the loss of one of his best friends. You see, this is who Jesus is. And everything starts 
with who he is. And this is why we would want to learn from him. I don't know, I read, I don't know, a couple of years ago, a story told about Elvis Presley. A friend of mine is in a group of people in New Orleans called the Rolling Elvi. And they dress up like Elvis and they ride around on motorcycles in New Orleans parades. But I heard this great story. Elvis in Memphis would all the time eat at this steakhouse that was not far from where he lived when he was a young man before he was famous. And it was owned by a man named Little Thompson. And one night he goes after he has become famous and he realizes his friend Lil Thompson has decided to host an Elvis impersonation night. When there's a contest, you know, have you ever seen one of these? Here's a bunch of Elvises here. And Elvis walks into the restaurant that night and they don't know he's there. And so he sneaks over into the back and he sits down and he's just watching all the Elvises. And he starts thinking to himself, I wonder what would happen if I went up And I also volunteered to perform as one of the Elvises. And so he waits almost until the very end. He hides and nobody notices him. And then at a point when it looks like it's going to all be over, he walks up to the front and he does this beautiful performance. By the way, on the way up, somebody heard him say, I'm going to mash this. I'm going to win this, right? And he walks up and he performs Love Me Tender to really sort of polite applause at the end. And then a couple other Elvis performers come up and they perform. And then at the very end, they sort of canvas everybody. They take a vote and Elvis comes in third in his own competition. And you're like, what? You got to be kidding me, you know? And when I heard that story, I'm like, you know what? If Jesus showed up, we wouldn't know who this guy is. We have such conceptions, as I said, about Jesus. And we, we've thought of him in a certain way. We have no idea who he is. We need to throw our old images out. Who is he? Well, first, he's less interested in you learning religion than in you learning about his love and how to live in it. He's a lot more like Joe the plumber than King Charles III. His teachings were so radical that some of his listeners thought he was insane. And I don't know if you know, but his family even one day showed up to try and capture him and take him home because they were afraid he had gone too far. And when Jesus walked around with his disciples, he said, well, who do people say that I am? They said, well, some of you people say you're Elijah or maybe you're John the Baptist. And then you stop for a minute, you're like, Those guys were a little, like, maybe a few fries short of a Happy Meal. These guys, they didn't have it all together. They were wide-eyed. They were wild guys. And that's who Jesus looks like to people? You see, we don't know Jesus. We don't know that he's the most free man that has ever lived. He was free to love when everything in us tells us not to do it because it's scary or we're not sure how it'll be taken or we're not sure how we be treated. He, he loved in any way. This is Jesus. And by the way, we see him and, and they, what they think of is, is overwhelming. Listen to Tim Keller. He passed away this week. But this is what he said about Jesus. He said, in Jesus, you see tenderness without weakness, boldness without harshness, Humility without any uncertainty, indeed towering confidence, unbending conviction, yet complete approachability. Anybody can come to him. Insistence on truth, but always bathed in love. Power without insensitivity, integrity without rigidity, and passion without prejudice. 
Why would we want to learn from him? You know that he is our only connection to true humanity. In other words, what God created us to be in the beginning. Because he's the only one who doesn't have his humanity tainted by sin. And I think we look around the world and we see how human beings are treating each other and we're missing true humanity. I think we have an ache in our hearts. I know I do over that. But it's also as we follow him, he's the only way we can know God. The only one true and living God, that one that made us in all things. You see, if you want to know God, if you want to know what God thinks about people or how God treats people or sees people, we look at Jesus. We believe in one God, but God is revealed to us in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen to the New Testament about Jesus. The, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, not just a part of God, but the fullness of God to dwell in him. So if you want to know who God is and what God is about and, and, and the story you're in with God who created it, you will look at Jesus. You see, our only connection for followers into God is found in him. And so if you want to know true God and, and humanity, who, God, who, who you are as a human being, Jesus, Jesus is our only hope for this. Let me go back to our text. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, talk, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So he knows this is the end. This is the moment. They're at this meal. But you know, he doesn't begin. He doesn't begin with teaching. Instead, he rises up from the table to perform a simple act common to all the Jewish people. They knew about this. And he washed the disciples' feet. We're going to look at the spiritual meaning of that when we come together next week. But today we need to see that Jesus lived what he taught. And all, he almost always lived it before he taught it. In other words, the truth comes to us, not as ideas, but first in flesh and blood. You remember that old adage? It goes like this. Um, those that can't do teach. Those that can't do teach. But Jesus, he taught what he did. He taught that God's love extended to those far away, and you see him eating in the house that nobody would go and eat in, somebody who was far away from God. He taught the disciples to pray, but you know what? He didn't even teach them until they'd been watching him pray, and they asked him about it. He only did that in response to that. You see, Jesus provides for us what, it's not pie in the sky, great ideas or aspirational goals. He gives us biography, the, the way this is and lives out in the world, before he gives us theology, because he knows what we need. And by the way, our world has been overtaken with words. We have, multi, we have engines for multiplying words, and we use this 
to put words out there, but we remain often on the sidelines of life and we have no idea what we're talking about. Or worse, we say one thing and we do another. We tell our kids, hey, uh, please don't do what I do. Just do what I say, right? But we need life. I like the words of the song written by Bruce Carroll. He says this, he says, I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. I'd rather one would walk with me. What if that sermon walked with you, right? Than merely show the way. Actions speak much louder than all the words can say. That, that's why I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. You see, Jesus is that word that has become living flesh. He is the person you can know. We see this sermon. And so he doesn't simply teach the, the disciples about serving. He gets up and he washes their feet first. That is something that even the highest slave, the highest ranking slave would not have to do. And it is so menial and degrading because of the filth that ended up on their feet that the slave at the lowest rung of the pecking order would be pulled out and selected and required to carry it out. For a Jewish man would not do it, much less a rabbi and the son of God. This would be unthinkable. And the disciples are utterly shocked about this. But you know, Jesus, he shows no reluctance at all. He calmly gets up and does this. And the reason is because this is who he is. He's a servant. He taught them about service afterward, as we'll see. So how is what you believe going to come together in what you live? It will be Jesus. I remember years ago I read, you know, you see these amazing examples of this Christ follower who led University of Virginia to their only basketball championship in I don't know how long, 2019, you'll see a picture of him. His name is Tony Bennett. After he won the championship, the school administration came to him. They wanted to pay him a lot more money. And the amazing thing was he said, no, 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 I, I decline. Think about that. He declined. This is what he said. He said, my wife and I are in a great spot. And in the past, I've received increases in my contract. I have more than enough. And there are ways this can help out the athletic department, the other programs, and coaches, he said, don't give me more money. Give it to some other coaches. Give it into other athletic programs. Give it to play. Give it to other people, but not to me. And the university president was so undone. His name is Jim Ryan. This is what he said. He said, Tony is one of the most selfless people I've ever met. And this is just the latest example. You see, he was doing it by example. And this is the life of Jesus in our world, this world that's filled with talk. I mean, we're talk, talk radio, talk TV. Jesus shows up and he lives this for us. You see, in Jesus, we, you have not gotten a word from on high, but instead the servant who will wash your feet, who has emptied himself and condescended to care for us. You see, this is why you can learn from him. This is why following him is the deal because he's gonna lead you into life. He doesn't come to you with pious words that are impossible to make life. He simply comes to you and says, hey, come and follow me. Come with me. Will you follow his lead? And then John says this. I skipped over this verse. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is the whole story. All the chapters we're going to read is this. It's what supports and empowers it all, what sustains us as we follow him. And listen to the wording. He says it like this. Having loved, 
He loved. Yes, he already loves you. And this is why Jesus came into the world and to us. He is, he is God's billboard announcing to the world, whatever you think about me, you need to know my love for you. And so his presence will challenge what we have lived for and how we have looked at other people and what we plan to do with our lives. And we can trust him because his way with us is always love. And, and wow, that's a huge conversation. Even more than we have time today. Think about the way love works today. Love works today. Somebody sees something in you they like and they're drawn to you and they love you until perhaps that thing isn't there or you're not giving them what they want. That's how it works. But what we're told here is God loved you not because of anything he has seen in you, nothing in you, but it's because of something actually in him. This is the reality of our world, that we keep loving as long as things are working, right? As long as we're getting what we want from that person. But we stop. When we stop receiving that thing, we desire. But this isn't Jesus. Look, this isn't a J.I. Packer, theologian. Love among humans is awakened by something in the beloved. But the love of God is free, spontaneous, uncaused. God loves people because he has chosen to love them. Don't you love how circular that is? God loves you because, well, he loves you. And, and he's still loving you because, well, he, he loves you. And this is what John is saying. This is where it's all going. Or you could put it like this. God loves you not because you're perfect, but because he's perfect. He loves you not because you're great, but because he is great. And, this, and then there's where this love goes. He says, having loved, he loved them to the end. In other words, you're not falling out of this love because you didn't cause it and it's given freely and it's in God. Your failures won't dull his love. Your weaknesses are not gonna drive it away. It's not gonna stop. It comes freely from him. You see, in that room, as we read, John points out, by the way, as we begin talking about this, I need to remind you, Judas is in the room. And he's already decided to betray Jesus. And Jesus comes around and he washes his feet. In the room is also Peter. And Jesus tells him this night, he says, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, if I have to die for you, I'll never do that. But he does. And Jesus loves him to the end. And all of the disciples but one flee when Jesus goes to the cross. And yet Jesus never stops loving them. Having loved, he loved. And this is also true for you. He didn't love you because he saw something in you and he said, wow, that's it, that's the deal. He loved you because in him is this wow of such a compassion and a grace that he set his affection on you. And that's an affection that's never gonna be lost. And this is how you could trust following Jesus. He loves you more than you love yourself. He wants a greater life for you than you've planned and you want for yourself. And he wants to lead you there even as you follow him. A few years ago, I shared this story from the New York Times, one of the most amazing stories of love. It's about this guy, his name is... Mark Lukash, he talks about a crisis that happened in his marriage. Here's how he described it. Two years ago when Julia and I were 27 and in our third year of marriage, she suffered a psychotic break. 
She had no history of mental illness preceding the abrupt arrival of delusions and paranoia. And I mean, it was just boom, it was just like that, in which she just wasn't even the same person. There was such paranoia and she couldn't cope with life. And you know what Mark did was he said, I, I love her. I'm gonna go on this journey with her, even though I don't know where it's leading. And you know what he said the worst part was? The worst part of it was, for Mark, her desire to commit suicide. It was like in conversations every day. This is what he said. The, the suicide conversations were never fun. They happened over and over. Out of nowhere, Julia would interrupt me and say, Mark, if, if someone kills themselves, do they still get a funeral? How are you going to cope with that? What do you do when your wife is asking you if she can take her own life? And not just once. What do you do? This is what he says. When the suicidal feelings gripped her tightly, her whole body groaned and wailed over the loss of control of mind and feelings. Well, here's what he would do. I would hold her. But I learned that all I could do in those moments was sit there and, and let it be. And so I did. And the fog would clear and the suicidal impulses would, would slip back under the surface. And the muted, agreeable Julia would return. I was particularly struck by this moment that he explained that happened one day. He said, one time we were biking together and we had to pull over and sit on the sidewalk for almost two hours while she sobbed and begged me to let her kill herself. I pleaded with her to just hang on through this moment and that it would pass and she would someday, somehow, start to feel better again. And after a long time passed, he says to her, are you okay now, honey? Pause. Yes. You know how proud of you I am and how much I love you? Pause. Yes. Are you ready to get back on the bike and go home? Pause. Yes. Let me tell you, when I read that article, it took my breath away. I thank God that that's never happened to me or my wife that I love so much. But even more than that, I began to see there are so many times when Jesus has held me. There's so many times when it's like you're at your worst. And here's Jesus. He loves you. Having loved you, he will love you to the end. When will we get it? You see, this is what discipleship is. It's learning every day. How do I live in this love? How do I live knowing that however broken I may feel and however many times I fall down and however many times I struggle, Jesus has loved me. And not only that, he wants me to enter into a life with him that leads to real freedom, that leads to joy, that leads to peace. By the way, let me tell you what happened. After a year of this disease left her just as quickly as it had come. Here they are now. Here they are now, Mark and Julia, his wife. You see, discipleship following Jesus is the learning of a life with someone who is there to sustain you and encourage you and to lift you up and to carry you along and sometimes just to sit and hold you until you can get on and take the next step. And so you ask, you know, how, do I, how can I engage this study? Well, I think it's first entering into and receiving and living, seeing that this love is for you, that Christ came for you, not the person sitting next to you or that person who's your friend, but for you. And then looking to him, just like Jesus says, and, and being willing to say, hey, Jesus, I want to be coached. 
I want to follow you. Teach me this life. Lead me into this life with you. And then as a result, making a conscious move in the direction of Jesus. You know, taking out the gospel of John and reading that and just saying, Lord, Jesus, I want to know you. I don't want to just read this or hear about you. And then after that, what what we'll see is, well, then how how do we begin to live this out as we follow him? That's the journey that that we're on together. Would you pray together with me? Father's really true. We have such conceptions of you, who you are as our God. And then Jesus shows up and is wild and free, is loving and compassionate and speaks a truth. Lord, who can tell us a truth we don't want to hear? It's only you because you love us in Christ. And so, Father, I pray as we go on this journey together, it will be a learning to live in this love that you've given us in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, wherever we find ourselves, we find Jesus washing our feet, showing just how great this this love is. And, Father, I pray that our hearts would be open, that you would keep us from fear because we've seen the cross of Jesus, we've known how much you love us, And also, Lord, um, pour out yourself through your Holy Spirit upon us to lead us as we seek your face this summer together. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This song we're about to sing, we've done a couple times just sort of.